It's your boy, Flavor Flav, and this is Chris Angel's Talking Junkies. Hey, this is Chris Angel, and welcome to another episode of Talking Junkies. I'm joined by the cast of Talking Junkies, none other than two-time UFC heavyweight champion. We're talking about Mr. Frank Mir. A man that needs no introduction in the world of tattoos because he is the GOAT. He is the man to see when you want some ink done. He's done all of my ink. He owns Starlight Tattoos, an amazing country artist as well. Give it up for Mario Barth. Yeah. And a man that has been playing Las Vegas with the funniest comedy magic show 11 years. He's our dear friend. We play with him a lot. Give it up for Mr. Hammer. What's up? All right, we'll give you some applause right. today. Yeah, there we go. Today I'm we happy. Applause. I'm really happy. Today's a very special day because we have a gentleman that is multi-talented. That's an understatement. This dude won four Grammy Awards. I'm talking, what, uh, uh, 15 ACM Awards and total awards 110. He is none other than the great, multi-talented Keith Urban. Yeah. Woo! What's up? Oh, there he is. Keith. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Keith. Good to see you. How awesome. Was that fake applause, Chris? No, no, that's his fans. I, you know, I saw him. Fake fans. Oh, I saw him over at Planet Hollywood, you know, in that massive theater that they have. Not my theater. My theater is a smaller one. He plays to six, 7,000 people a night. And his show was, he, I couldn't believe it. Keith, you're playing drums, you're singing, your guitar. Like, what don't you do, man? My dad played drums. Really? Yeah, he was, a, in, he was in a cover band in the 50s and... um. I always loved drums and guitar and piano, all of it, yeah. You know what was great about your show? Besides you just being like totally wanting to be there. Like you see shows, and I won't mention who they are, but you know they're just like checking in. You know, they're checking in, checking out. They don't really want to be there. But like you authentically wanted to be there. Like you could see that you really enjoyed performing. Yeah. And what I loved, one of my favorite parts of the show was you did this whole rhythmic thing with the microphone, your, I think it was your guitar, and the mic stand. Right. And I've never seen anything like that. Did you come up with that, or did you see somebody that inspired you to do that? It's, uh, it's you know, I mean, I think like all of us, we, we glean things from people, and then we kind of elaborate on it, make it our own. Um, it's a bit of a mix of being a rhythmic guy anyway, and uh, there's, a, there's an amazing guitar player called Tommy Emmanuel, who does similar kind of stuff and mm -hmm. he's obviously taken it from somewhere. So we've all made that kind of thing our own. Yeah. And, and, and the, the show is great because like you dragged your own drum set out. Like you didn't have <laughs> it like come out automation or people like you dragged it out. It like, you know, your audience, you know yourself. And um, I was just blown away by your charisma. And I'm not just saying this because you're here and I'm hyping you up, but I Thanks. really sincerely was excited to talk to you because as a performer, you know, I'm always trying to see things that inspire me. Yeah, me too. And sometimes you're disappointed in what you see. Yeah. But you really did inspire me because you made me think of things differently. Like, 
how do you look at an instrument? People have a guitar or a microphone and they're singing or talking or playing the guitar. They're not thinking about it in ways that you have to entertain the audience and to be like really the ultimate showman. Right. And that's really what I got out of your show. Everybody wanted to be there. The band was awesome. The Thank sound, you. whoever your mixer is, is insane. Like Thank I'm you. sure he's getting a shitload of money to be your mixer, but <laughs> just incredible. The show was fantastic. Thank you. It, it was just, it was just such a great time. Now you're going to be going on tour. Yeah, I mean, it feels like we're always on tour. It's been nice to be in Vegas. It's like a residency. You yeah. have like one place, but still, this is not home for you. No, it's not home. But uh, I mean, you know, someone was talking about what's it? You're going to be playing on the same st stage every night doing a similar kind of show. And I'm like, that's what a tour is. 100%. You know, you're right. I mean, you may be in a different city in a different town, but that's the kind of that you played on that stage last night. It's just in a different city. And so for me, it uh, it's been. Uh, actually, I've loved every second of it playing here. I really you, have. you change up the set a lot, or you I make kind quarterback of... calls more than anything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, like yeah, sound check almost every day. I'll make little tweaks. We'll get rid of a song, maybe move it somewhere else, shorten it, lengthen this one. Right. Uh, just based on the vibe from the night before. But you know this: every audience is different every night, and one Friday night is different to the next Friday night. All right, I'm going to ask you a question that you probably won't want to answer, but do you believe that there's a bad audience? Because for me, I do believe that. I believe that the energy, like you have to read the audience. And sometimes right. I come out on stage and they're standing up going crazy and, and, and I'll do the same stuff the next night and the audience is more chill. You know, they're not very engaged or as engaged or responsive. Yeah. Um, I think it depends on the night of the week, how yeah. much, how, what time the show is. But do you believe that there's maybe a better audience or a worse audience, depending upon those, you know, different circumstances? Sure. I mean, audiences are affected by everything. You know, right now, F1's created challenges. I'm not doing shows this week. You, <laughs> you are. Know, right? You're insane, dude. It, to get around town yeah. is uh, oh, it's insane. challenging for the audience. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and then anything that's going on in the news cycle or any sort of anything's going on societally, emotionally, sort of topically, the weather, there's a million things economically. There's so many things that, that give an audience a vibe before they get there. Um, so to your point, yeah, I think to a large degree, yes, you know, audiences can have a, a vibe, uh, which can be really challenging on certain nights. What I'm trying to learn more about is it's usually that audience is not connecting with what it is I'm doing and wanting to do right now. They're not giving me back the thing that I need to do this. And so I've really only got two options, which is just, you know, just do it anyway. Stay on point. Do it anyway. Right. Uh, or tweak it a little bit and go, well, maybe they're being, maybe that this is not, what do they want? Maybe they want you to talk to them for a second, get to know them a little bit. You know, stop yelling, stop doing the big thing. Or maybe it's too low and they want to get going more. So I think it's just trying to read what is it that they're responding to, not responding to, and just navigating that a little bit. You know, uh, Mario and I, because we came to see the show together, he's a huge, he's a country artist, but a huge fan of, of yours you. and country music. And... Uh, and we were talking about like the energy and and the energy was just no one was sitting down like it was really like you could because you fed off the energy of the audience 
but it was like a give and take. And then when you came into the audience, you know, people lost their mind. It was, it was just uh, incredible. Did you, did you put that show together yourself? Like, were you involved in the lighting? Were you involved in all the different aspects of putting the production together? Or did you have like people that came to you and were like, here it is, or were you like, because you seem like the type of guy more like me where you're involved in all those decision-making things that are going to affect the audience's experience. Yeah, I bet we're pretty similar in that we've got a vision of what we want to do, but bringing in people who are ex experts in those areas, really skilled in those areas, like I am in mine. i got a skill set that's my skill set. I don't have that skill set. Right. I have an idea of what I want to do visually, sonically, pace you know, emotionally, everything I want to create, but I'd rather bring in people that hear the idea and go, I know what you're trying to do. Let me, let me make that better. That's 100%. really what it is. Well, that's smart. That's smart. And I know you have a question for Keith, right? You have some things that are going, you all probably do, and I'm we hogging him up. So let's, I, I think Mario's trying to sell him his here. book. Mario's huh? got this book he's trying to sell to Keith. I have to sell show, one show your, copy. Mario, pick up your book copy. there and show you. Hammer, why are you book. in the big, the big seat? Why, why, are you, because he's the King smallest Hammer. guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he has a small penis. I, I, that's what, we, that's what Frank told me. Do you think he's compensating for something? Don't make me compensate. They actually called him, right? They used to call you Houdini, right? Yeah, here, go ahead, Chris. Mini, Tell the joke every Houdini. podcast. Because of, of a little weenie. Is that your joke? I wasn't going to say that, but is that I'm glad joke? that you admitted it in front of a legend I'm right over here. I'm just trying to help Mario out. The tattoo business is rough. You know, once people are covered, they can't. So he's trying to sell you this book, Keith. Oh, geez, I'm not selling you a book. What is that? So he, he, he can I write. I just so wanted to give you this afterwards. Give you? Because. Wow. Yes. Right. I, I have to give it away because I can't sell it for crap. <laughs> so it's like, that's the story on it. But it gives you a little story about uh, me becoming a Sulu up in, in Samoa and nice. also in Japan to get some. And it gives you a history of tattooing. I started yeah, 1978 he, yeah, like, to right actually tattoo, you know. And, and I was getting a tattoo with you actually yesterday. Yesterday, This, this yeah. one right over here. Yeah. And we were talking about this, that, you know, country artists... Yeah. by and large, didn't have ink. And then he noticed that Garth Brooks is sleeved. Half-sleeved, yeah. Half-sleeved, Half -sleeved. right? And then you, like, are you, are you more influenced or have you been influenced, I should say, by, like, rock and roll? Because you have an image that's definitely edgy for a country star. I mean, I grew up playing in the clubs in Australia. Rough pubs, you know. What part of Australia? They, they hose the thing out at the end of the night. Really? Basically. What part of Australia? Brisbane. Oh, right on. You know, it's, it's working class. Yeah, it's I've been there. Full-on working class. And um, my parents were working class, so that's what, I, that's what I grew up in. Places where when you walk out on stage, people go, what's this bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's this wanker? Wanker. You know, and, and that's what you walk out to, you know, every night. And you just got to – and you – got to get them and you got to convert them and you got to get them loosened up and and you know going with it you were in the 80s i think on, uh, in australia uh which i have a love for australia because my lady and yeah. and, and our my our son were, were born there johnny christopher but um you uh were on a talent uh tv show yeah a few of them right like <laughs> yeah what was that that was uh I, I, the first one i went on was called pot of gold and i was nine nine years old Wow. I went on that. And so you wanted to make it since you were like, you could think. I just loved playing guitar and singing. I started when I was six. And luckily, my mom and dad were really supportive. 
And, you know, my mom would drive me around to any and every opportunity, whether it was a talent show somewhere or a TV talent thing, whatever, any opportunity, you know. So how did you, what would you say, because it's a series of small things that happen mm. that allow you to, quote unquote, make it. Like for me, it took 18 years to become an overnight success. Yeah. I'm sure you share a similar story, but Definitely. what was the one thing? Like for me, it was obviously my mind freak television series uh, on A&E that really just put me in, in the place that I always dreamt about. And then it's about remaining the most relevant at your craft, which is obviously more challenging than getting there. But what it was is. it for you that was the big break that just put it like, was it the record deal? Like what, what was it? I think, you know, it's always, like you said, it's always small little moments, right? Like long periods in the wilderness, completely lost. You always think success is just around the corner and they keep moving the corner further and further. And it's like that never ending thing. And then in, uh, I forgot when it was, maybe I was about 21. Uh, I went in this talent quest in Australia called uh, Star Maker uh, and I won it and wow the 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 prize was like you you got to record a a single for emi records Mm. and so that meant i got to cut two sides you know two songs and and i got a publishing deal at the same time and i signed with a company who had they were mca in australia so they were affiliated with american mca and i only signed with them because they said they could send me to nashville that's all i wanted to do i just wanted to get to nashville so that that was a pivotal moment of getting a way to get to Nashville finally. But do you consider yourself more of a a country artist, a pop artist? I know you don't consider yourself a rock and roll, but it's definitely you definitely have a flair even in your concert of of right, Mario? Yeah, rock especially the guitar playing, right? Yeah. I mean, we can't deny that Keith is one of the best guitar players in the world, I think, you know. He can I match love, up I with anybody playing, else. Yeah. Yeah. Always love playing. Uh, uh, for sure, you know, especially when it gets lost in his Uh, uh, lead playing right and taking it over as I said before that's what I see and what really impressed me what brought me to music I have seen you in Las Vegas years ago about 10 years ago or so and um, you went out into the audience with your guitar and you did it this time again and you signed your guitar and you handed it to somebody over and that was like for me I've dealt with a lot of rock stars in my life I've tattooed everybody and I've never seen this once where somebody actually signs a, a plate guitar right mm. now in front of them mm. to hand it over. That's a really special yeah, I gotta thing. Get what one shows those how you connect to the audience. And that actually made it for me to go into music, you know? Oh, that's good. Thank really? you. Yeah. That inspired you? Yeah. Because I was like, I want to give somebody went, a hey, guitar, guitar. Where I started with the book. <laughs> Finally, I got rid of one. So that, that, <laughs> maybe you could go out at your tattoo shop and pass out books, Mario. Yeah. No, they didn't want it. They all want <laughs> tattoos, and I want to give them away. See, That's the problem. Thing if you walked out in the audience, just gave a free tattoo, just start just oh, inking Jesus somebody. Christ. Oh, Tell see, me there about you go. That. That's it. You I know. Give away I know. What's yours? But what, what do you think you are uh, if, in those three different categories? Would you well, say so, it's a combination of those? So you, I grew up playing country. Uh, my mom, my dad particularly loved country music, American country music. Mm-hmm. So all the records that we had in the house were Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard, Charlie Pride, Dolly Parton, it's Glenn Campbell's, all country music, American country. Um, but I also loved the radio, Top 40 radio. And so when you start playing clubs and playing in a cover band, mm-hmm. you just plan whatever the hits are, just you plan Top 40. So I'm, I'm already growing up on, in two worlds of country and 
pop radio, basically, but playing in sweaty, grimy rock and roll clubs. Right. So you put those three things together and that's... That's yeah, with what I Yeah, what I there, do, yeah. There you go. And I tell you, the breakthrough, one of the breakthrough moments for me was in 1988. I love John Mellencamp, a huge John Mellencamp fan. And he did a record called Lonesome Jubilee. And, you know, prior to that, he'd had Hurt So Good, and it was straight, more, more rock, Jack like it's more straight rock. And then, he, and then through Scarecrow, he brings in mm -hmm. some fiddles and a few little organic things. Then he does Lonesome Jubilee, and he's got accordion, fiddle, acoustic guitars, but he's got this rock rhythm section still. And it was the collision of all these things that prior to going to that concert that night, I was like, man, what am I? Am I a country? Am I rock? That question. I don't yeah, know what you I am. yourself that. I don't know what I'm supposed to be right. doing. And I went to that concert. He walks out on stage. The band was phenomenal. And I saw and heard all of that fusion. And it was literally like a light went off. I went, ah, oh, I get it. I get it. Don't think about genre or anything. Just be you. Do all the, pull all the things you love, your soup, man, your gumbo, and make your gumbo. And just, these are my flavors. This is my gumbo. Celebrate yeah. who you are. Exactly. Right. Don't be somebody else. Don't be something you're not. That's no, why I always tell yeah. people, like people are like, how do you just celebrate? There's only one of you. Be the best version of yourself. Yeah. Right? And you're constantly changing too. So yeah. yourself is different tomorrow. hundred percent. In search of who yourself is constantly. So you know? Keith, if you weren't doing music, what would you do? I'd be in jail, probably. <laughs> <laughs> we could get you some prison tattoos, my friend Mario, and Frank yeah, can back you I'd up. I'd be all badged. Yeah, you, you got to have a friend like Frank. What, what, Frank, what, you know, Frank is a... Uh, have you ever fought? Have you ever gotten into a fight? No, no. I've, I mean, man, playing in those pubs, I was really lucky that they saying. never really wanted to go after the band, which was really fortuitous. Uh, <laughs> I only ever got clocked once by the the ex-boyfriend of, of my girlfriend at the time who just mm. was pissed off whatever you know whatever. jealous and he fractured my nose and i went to the hospital and that uh, was it uh too bad That's you it. didn't have frank at that time i was gonna ask you because <laughs> predominantly i guess you said you know like when you think of country music you think american country music and whatnot and i know it's because in, in mixed martial arts world one of my biggest influences is brazilian jiu-jitsu right mm. i'm an american Sometimes when I've gone over there, first, when I first started trying out, there was very much of a, like, this is our thing, you know, hey, dude, what are you doing taking over our stuff? You right. Know, and right. being proficient at it. Yeah. Have you ever felt that kind of when you first came over? I mean, I don't know if there was ever a time when, you know, you started speaking, I was like, hey, the country music guy, oh, do you have a, a Kiwi accent? What the hell is that? You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in Tennessee. Oh, yeah. In Tennessee. Yeah. Was oh, there ever yeah. pushback in that way? Yeah, for sure. It just wasn't very visible because Nashville's a very friendly town. And, but, you know, it, it, I come from Australia where they're brutally honest. Like mm -hmm. if, when you're playing in a club and you do a few songs or whatever, you could ask someone afterwards, do you like that song? They go, no, nah, that was a shit song. Did you write that? It was shit. Don't ever do that song again. It was terrible. That one after it, that was better. Do more of that, less of that. Like brutally honest. And that's how I grew up. And mm -hmm. I'd respond really well to that. Um, but you move to Nashville and it's a much more Southern polite town where they don't want to yeah, hurt I'm your sure feelings. So, you know, what I'm saying is like, Which, though, it's good I, though, thought, I, I thought they liked what I was doing, but I realized years later behind my back, they were kind of like. That's one thing I took to my, my wife and I have this discussion all the time. 
uh, criticism, taking criticism. Yeah. It's not the easiest thing for people to take to sit there and go, hey, man, you suck at this, you're good at this. And right. As an athlete, you take tons of criticism and you have to listen to it and observe it and, and you know, take it in and kind of have thick skin but still be observant because you can't ignore it. Right. So I'm sure that probably you grew up in that uh, industry of being, you know, in a culture where criticism was open like that probably has helped you with your music career, I got to imagine you know, someone sits there and goes, "Hey, you know, you can tell them, hey man, you don't have to, you know, sugarcoat it. Tell me what you think." And that yeah. way, you can first start to you know, improve upon it. Yeah. So when I got to Nashville, and I'm like, "Why is no one signing us? What's happening?" People will say they like us, but they like us. I think I can tell you why because, you know, people look at you, and you're a good-looking guy. People probably thought to themselves, "Oh, you know, it's all like poser. Right. It's not legitimate." Yeah they didn't realize your history of playing in Correct. really shitty clubs in yeah. Australia, yeah. right? And really building your chops and really developing and evolving as an artist, writing your own material, right? Yeah. Well, and so, also my country foundation, which wasn't apparent visually. Right, yeah, like, because you look like you, a rock and roller. You wouldn't know anything about country. And it was when I started getting with the writing community, and you're doing guitar pulls, you know, where you go to yeah. someone's house and they pass the guitar around, and slowly but surely everyone's like, oh, shit, you know, like, tons about this genre i'm like yeah that's what i grew up playing you know yeah but so. it probably was harder for you at first because of the visual appearance of the tattoos being, yeah and the accent just yeah, everything yeah, i had like, everything going against you had everything me. going against you <laughs> yeah. but then it's a blessing because once you're successful all that stuff works toward your that, favor because you're not you don't look or sound or do what anybody else it's does it's crazy that you just used the word blessing because there was a guy called cliff aldrich who used to be with sony records come and see me play at all these crappy clubs in Nashville. Every time we played, he'd come see me. And I came off stage one night, come down, drenched in sweat and shit. And he's there and he says, man, it's great. And I go, Cliff, well, you know, you're always here. How come you're here? And he goes, because I love you. And I go, how come we can't get signed? He goes, I'm the only one who loves you. Really? <laughs> I'm like, wow. I said, what am I doing wrong? He goes, you're not doing anything wrong. He goes, you're just really unique. And it'll be your biggest curse until it becomes your greatest blessing. That happened to and me. And for whatever reason, that thing went in so deep that night yeah. that I went, don't change who you are just to fit because it won't work. You just got to be patient and hope the pendulum swings to what you're doing. A hundred percent. That it's more difficult to be successful when you're not like everybody else. Yeah. And because because record companies want to sign what's going on, they want the next whatever. Yeah, they don't want something that doesn't sound like. Is that your phone? I'm gonna get rid of that. Is that just, no? It just keeps buzzing. It, it, well, it's if okay. it's your wife, no, you better get it, dude. No, no, no. I would always get you. Sure, you sure it's <laughs> not your wife. That. We don't it's, want to create any problems. Speaking of your wife, you, you can keep it. You can keep it. Don't worry about it. Okay. No, it's just this buzzing. No one's watching this. It's all right. All right. But but speaking about your wife, like just really quickly. I mean, Nicole, like, is an amazing talent. Just did this, well, during, um, I guess, COVID or whatever, they, they, they got her to do, like, a commercial for AMC. And it blew up. And, like, people are going crazy for this. Like, did you ever see that coming? I mean, neither of us did. You know, we, she did it because we love movies. She loves movies. And it was hard times for the theaters. So AMC asked her if, if she'd do an AMC commercial and... It was a no-brainer for her to, to be a part of that. Never in a million years expecting that to be this cultural thing. It, it, it's crazy. It's incredible, like, what transpired. Did you, did you ever see that commercial? I didn't. I don't. You have to watch that commercial, AMC, it, cause, because it, it resonates and it, 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 like, touches you because you realize, you know, when the lights go down and you're actually in a movie theater, not in your bed or your couch watching a movie, 
there's a different type of experience. So it really captures the essence of what that is. And obviously mm. with her kind of driving that commercial, I, I think it really connected to a lot of people because also the lockdown, right? You were doing concerts. Yeah. Free concerts. <laughs> yeah. You killed my grandma. What? <laughs> you, you're out in public. We're all locked down and you're out there doing show. You killed my grandma. No, he was doing it. He was doing it in a studio. I'm screwing around, Chris. Oh, okay. Everyone's like, you killed my grandma. Frank, Frank just you left choke him out, Frank. <laughs> my grandma's been dead a while. She, you did not kill my grandma. <laughs> we did a drive-in concert, though, uh, which an idea that my wife had. We're sitting there one morning and I said, man, I can't, I just can't wait. I can't wait to play. Where can we play? And she goes, what about a drive-in? I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, oh. we could set the stage up at the, like the base of the screen. And then everybody's in their cars and you could just play a show. And I'm like, this is amazing. Where did you do it at? Uh, this place called the Starlight no, or something. What, uh, just outside of Nashville. Oh, right on. 40 She's minutes like out of the Nashville. There's a functioning drive-in out there. It's crazy. She's the brains behind the operation. So, but you yeah. did also yeah. great stuff from your studio, <laughs> right? It. And then we did a bunch there as well. Because she was always dancing around with you. She and was singing my guitar tech, yeah. Like, yeah. did you ever see that? <laughs> I did not During see that. During COVID, he was like, he was doing live from his home or, or from your studio, wherever it was. Yeah. Yeah. And then Nicole was dancing around and singing with him. And it was like a home show That's for awesome. everybody. So I, I was like waiting for it. Like, yeah, yeah. I was doing crack. Yeah, and, and he wasn't charging a penny. He nope. was doing it just... Free. Yep. There are people that are out of jobs and stuff. So if you could do something to give back like you did, that is the most beautiful thing that you can do because, you know, people were really, you know, profoundly affected. Oh, yeah. And so you well, gave them an escape. Well, you know, we're lucky. We could pay our bills. Yeah. A lot of people weren't and weren't able to pay their bills. Well, I don't know. So you just do what you can, you know. <laughs> A lot of times when Chris and I are training stuff, like the first hour, usually us just talking about, you know, married life, kids and whatnot. And especially for us, or for me, I don't really have that many of the friends that have an idea what it's like to be on TV and the different, you know, uh, difficulties or uh, that come along with some of the, uh, you know, the, 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 the good things. Mm. But having a married, like, because our dynamic is that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm known, but my wife is somewhat known because of me. But, you know, same with Chris, he's known as wife somewhat, you know, because of the music. But your wife could be arguably even more famous, you know, just as famous as you are. Is it a little bit different as far as the relationship, the dynamics? Like, cause you know, usually you start arguing, go, oh, I'm out. You don't understand what it's like. It's like, well, no, I exactly know what it feels like to be you or to it be seems, out. And yeah. So you have two famous couples. To be married fight to each a other. famous woman. Like, what is that like? That's what you're asking. Yeah, no, but also too because of the dynamic. Because you understand well, each I, other's you know, fame. Right. The truth is I'm married to an extremely down to earth, chill, laid back, regular girl who happens to be famous right that's really and what she would it is. say the same about you i'm that's sure it's hopefully not the girl bit but yeah <laughs> but, but well, that's, your hair that's is getting a little long you know. take it from me <laughs> <laughs> that's the difference though you know yeah. yeah um let's let's talk a little bit about um uh american idol yeah. because you replaced uh essentially steven tyler right so <laughs> a rock guy and then they get a dude that's country but yeah. looks like a rock guy so it was a very smart decision what was that experience like first season was challenging uh in what way <laughs> like just learning the everything you have to be critical and <laughs> yeah positive and yeah it was uh yeah it was just a challenging season and then it got easier after that but i actually really liked it you, you did you I enjoyed do, yeah. it i love being able to you know give any kind of advice to someone and kind of do it in a way that's um, helpful, not, not, not destructive. I mean, cause that show I went on that I said when I was nine, this, right. this judge just 
crucified the shit out of me. At nine years old? At nine. I know. Well, it's Australians. They're all criminals. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, like, he was like, tell me I sang terribly. And really? he said, uh, I, he goes, I desperately encourage you to escape the mediocrity, get out of country music and get into some real music. That's where he started. And I'm nine. Is it dude still so, alive? No. <laughs> No, he's not. So, yeah, Karma. Yeah. Oh. Karma's but, a oh, bitch. No, Karma would have been good if he was alive to see all this insane success. Yeah. Because it would be great to call him up right now and be like, dude, what are you doing? Was that but, the criticism? You know, because sometimes see, people Frank, can be harsh. Were, exactly what the you criticism were right. But sometimes but, the criticism could be off the wall. Just being but a bit, to your you know? point, like you said earlier, it's about what criticism to like just let slide right. off your shoulders and like, whatever. He's an idiot. I don't agree with right. him. That's okay. I'm not going to take it on. You know, well, what uh, do you know at nine, right? I mean, well, you, <laughs> because because my my brother and my and my dad were kind of like that. They weren't brutal, but they didn't hold punches. Yeah. So I'm used to it. You know, I'm already used to it at nine. I'm used to it. And um, he said all these sort of things that were wrong, 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 wrong. And then he goes, kindly learn to sing in tune because you're intrinsically a good musician. And then he gave me four out of ten or something. I walked off the set. And I said to my mom, what does intrinsically mean? <laughs> she goes, well, it means you're sort of naturally a good musician. And I went, cool. Right. And that was it. That's what I took away, the good bit. And I just discarded the rest. But if he would have praised you and said you were the greatest ever, you maybe would have never made the improvement to bring you where no. you're at now. And, and you see and it. And I think that's really to it. These people coming on that have just been lauded by their family and friends, and they're, they're not that good. Yeah. But you got to figure out a nice, gentle way to help them. That's one thing right? about music and some of the other industries <laughs> is that it's uh, what's what's what I'm looking for subjective perspective people yeah. are telling you you know in some of the other sports and stuff it's like if you're not good it kind of get, becomes apparent really quick oh yeah you know, a little yes. more painfully yeah absolutely when you were young you 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 play guitar you're singing we're talking prior to Nicole like what was it like to be Keith Irvin with with, with all of the women that probably just Threw themselves to you because this good-looking dude with the accent uh, plays guitar, sings. Like it was probably pretty, pretty awesome to be you, right? And probably, <laughs> probably <laughs> every married like, guy here you know, is cringing. I, I, I want to understand. Like, that's why it came out of the table. That's why. Let's go back to your story. There's a lot of you know people that perform and play guitar, but they don't look. In a way, why are you looking good. at me? I'm not. Well, I'm not. I'm just like <laughs> comparing. Some people are not that attractive. Comparing, I'm the twin. No, like I'm comparing. He's usually talented, visually very guitar at, You know, 18 years old. He's playing guitar for nine years. He's playing, getting into clubs. Right. He's he is not in a relationship probably at the time because he got punched in the nose. Mm. Right. So like, you know, <laughs> and now you're free. What, what's that? Did you used to like, you know, date like a different woman every every day, or did you have a girlfriend, or did you go through many different girlfriends? I preferred to be in a, in a relationship. You did, yeah. It was always oh, my, my preference. How disappointing. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> true. But I wasn't very good at it. But that that was my intent. That's okay, Keith. We won't ask Chris about his previous report his girl here like <laughs> no. you're you're looking at him like what's it like okay yeah. chris angel whatever what's <laughs> well, it like I'm just curious. what's it like i didn't play I, guitar and sing okay you know. so i i'm with whatever <laughs> I, 
I'm, and you did sing, by the way. Chris was, he was actually a rock star. He yeah. was in a band. Did you ever see him? I didn't know that. Oh, oh yeah. It's okay. Let's not talk about This is about video. him, not me. No, no. Oh, no. You'll like this oh, one. Oh, no. Keith. It's about you now. Yeah, it is about him. No. Listen to this. <laughs> What's it like, Keith? So I'm out for, Chris took me out for uh, Look at my his birthday. body language, man. Oh, yeah. He's freaking out. <laughs> he took me out for my birthday. <laughs> You're not a magician. You shouldn't notice that. <laughs> he, he's out, uh, takes me out for my birthday a couple years ago with Chenille, his beautiful girlfriend, wife, and former. Uh, ex-wife ex-wife but still ex-wife gonna not be, promise yeah, no, no, going to be a promise ring now that'd be confusing be and, and, and that is her beautiful ass right there yeah and yes. she's amazing yes and uh, him and and uh, and uh, Jonathan Davis uh, uh, yeah right? Corn. Yeah, Corn was there Lisa. so we're all there and we're talking and I'm just talking to Jonathan and and uh, back and forth and I and Chenille is sitting next to me and so I start talking about I don't know some weird thing, and I go, Britney Spears or something. She kicks me under the table, like, shut up about Britney, because of Chris. And then, and I'm like, okay, then I start, oh, and also Pamela Anderson, she kicks me again. She keeps no, kicking me. No, I never, me. no, no, Tommy whatever. Lee and Pamela. Whatever, no, I, anyway, I was friends with Pamela, Whatever you say, like oh, her no. friends. And so he's kicking me, she's kicking me every time under the table, every time. I go, I can't talk about any girl. Because I was the, trying to be Keith Urban. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> but anyway, but she's wonderful, and Chris is great now. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so no. how are you going to get no. out of that? But you couldn't get out of a story. Yeah. It was interesting. You're lucky you got those red velvet ropes. I, well, don't make me come back through these ropes. Um, but you, you, we're, we're joking around, so that. But you, you had a very challenging time in your life as well. Like, if we can talk about it, because there's probably a lot of people watching this right now that are going through something similar, um, where they feel they're defeated, that they, 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 they're alone, they, that they don't feel like they can succeed. So they turn to whether alcohol or, um, or drugs and stuff mm. like that. Can we talk a little bit about sure. that? Like yeah. you went through a, a very difficult, challenging time and you were able to pull yourself through it with help and, uh, and never look back. So tell us for people that are watching like what that was like and, and how you were able to conquer it. Uh, well, I've been sober 17 years, um, and it took a long time to get to that place. You know, my dad was alcoholic and, uh, when I started drinking, I didn't drink like my dad. So I didn't see that I was alcoholic until many years later, but I got to Nashville and fell in with the wrong people. Uh, and it was difficult. Nashville was difficult. It's a really difficult town for a guy like me. You know, and I couldn't just get in the car and drive home and recenter with my family. You know, I lived in the outside of the world. So I was sort of just having to go through the challenge and struggle of getting accepted without being able to leave and remember who I was. So it was just difficult and genetically predisposed, you know, disposed to uh, all, the, all of the shit I was around. And that's, that's where I went. That's where I found solace, you know, and, and then it just sort of took hold. What was your rock bottom, though? Like, what finally made you turn the corner? I, I think just a series of them, probably, you know. Um, I went to rehab first in 1998, and then I went again in 2003, and then I went again in 2006. It worked. It took three, three rehabs <laughs> yeah. over eight years for me to go. That's hard. I might be alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. I know alcohol is the worst so. one of all, the hardest one, because... It's, it's so, so socially acceptable. Yeah. yeah, we're sitting here. Everybody goes, "Hey, have a drink." If you smoke weed or you do whatever else, like yeah. well, I guess we maybe I guess nowadays, but like, you know, people understand that. Hey, man, we're gonna shoot some heroin. You want to try it with us? You know, like, but with alcohol, it's almost <laughs> like it's forced upon you. We well, you, know, you sit at a table. We're all gonna hang out. Like, hey, we're gonna have a drink. We have one. You're like, I'm not drinking. Yeah. I've, I've been with people that sit there. I'm not drinking. And I'm, 
I'm training for a fight. You got to almost explain yourself to people yeah. why you don't yeah, want right. to. Yeah, and yeah. I always feel awkward when you hear someone go, hey, man, no, I'm, no, I, have, you know, I have an issue. Whatever they say, I'm sober now. And it's like, oh, shit, now everybody gets uncomfortable. It's like, ah, oh, fuck, man, I didn't mean to do that. But, but it seems like, again, because of the social acceptance of alcohol, it's much more difficult. You got to, like, circumvent those obstacles every day. I, I think it's relative to everybody how they get to that place of um, choosing a different life, you know, uh, building a different life, which is what I did. But I, I almost never talk about it publicly because I, I want my audience to not think about that. I don't want them thinking about that when they come to my show. I want them, if they want to get fucked up, they want to drink, smoke, do pills, whatever they want to do, I want them to do that and have a great time. If you come in and you don't need any of that to get high and get lost in the music, excellent. I just don't want anyone thinking about that because I don't have an opinion about it. I'm not against it. I'm just allergic to it. So basically the biggest inspiration you're trying to pass on is that each to their own, just enjoy your life, live the life you're going to exactly. live. That's why you keep that montage of not really maybe expressing your own difficulties because you don't want people to feel judged or being looked at. You know? I'm, I guess I don't judge, you know, and I'm there to just bring a great time for whatever state of mind you're in. That's, that's it, you know. Yeah. But what, what would you say to that person that looks at your story and doesn't feel like they're able to get anywhere? Like, what would you say to them if they want, whether it's succeed and overcome so, whether it's drugs or alcohol or it's to to succeed in their dream whatever their dream is like what would you what would be the advice that you'd give to them it's so hard to give advice because it's always misquoted misconstrued put out of context and before you know it it sounds like i have an opinion about something i don't have an opinion about it i think everybody's on their own journey the only thing i say is that whatever you're going through someone on the planet's gone through it more than likely mm -hmm. and reaching out and getting help for whatever it is that you're struggling with is key. You can't do it alone. Right. You just can't do it alone. We even say it like we, all of us in the course of a week, will get to that point in the day where I go, Oh my God, I can't handle this. And you're like, did you hear the words you just said? I can't handle this. And it's like the universe goes, yay, you finally got it. No, you can't handle it. Right. But some other people can help you with that. You want to reach out? Yeah, like if somebody says to me, I want to be a magician, I, my first response is don't. Why is that? Why? Because if you want to do magic as a hobby, as an enthusiast to right. enjoy the art and learn it, like I'm doing MMA, that's one thing. Right. But if you want to do it and I want to make a living and I want to be the next, it's like, if I say no to you, if you really want it bad enough, mm. if you want to be a, a great country artist... Mm. I can say no all mm -hmm. day long, right. but you're going to have some burning desire in your DNA that is just, you can't help. You're addicted to trying to succeed and living your dream. Yeah. And so that person has a shot if the planets align and yeah. they have the tenacity yeah. and the stick to with trying to accomplish their mission. Um, Where'd you get yours from, that tenacity? Oh God, I, I, I was, I, I think I just was like that from a kid. I saw my dad busting his ass, getting up at four o'clock, four thirty in the morning, opening his coffee shop. I used to go there. My dad said, if you want to be good at anything, you got to learn every position, be the dishwasher, mm. be the mm. hostess, be the grillman, be the boss. And, uh, and he, you know, he was, he always said to me, if you want to be successful, hang out with people that are successful at doing what you want. Mm -hmm. If you hang out with shit, you'll start to smell like it. Mm -hmm. He said, be positive, be light, never give up, always work 
somebody's working hard, you have to work harder. Yeah. Always aim to achieve in your goal and never give up. And it took me 18 years to become an overnight success. How long did it take you, would you say, to become that quote-unquote overnight success? It happened last Tuesday, so that's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, years. Yeah, years like, of what, would you say my... a decade? I did 10 years. I, I quit school at 15. I really? started playing five nights. in. A, uh, I was in a cover band playing five nights a week. Uh, at 15? At 15, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I they let you do that in Australia? Yeah, you, you, can, you can leave about school at 15. And oh, I, really? my 15th birthday was in October. And I said to mom, and the school year goes till November, and until uh, December. And uh, it was October and I turned 15. I said, mom, well, that's it. I'm not going to school today. She goes, well, at least finish out the year and get your junior certificate because I was in the 10th grade, you know, and you get some certificate. And I'm like, for what? What am I going to use this certificate for? I'm playing in a band on the weekends that plays without me during the week because I got to go to school. If I could play during the week, I'd be earning decent money and learning my craft. So you were all in. I was all in. And all they, in. they could see it. They could see it. It was obvious that I was going to – it wasn't and, that and, I was going to do this. I was doing when it. When they're hearing you on the radio, seeing your success, you know, blooming, what was the reaction from your friends, from your family, or people that you grew up with? Was it like – I think because it was so slow. It was that slow? The, the success was so slow coming to Nashville. I mean, I moved to Nashville in 92 – and I didn't really have any success until 99, 2000. So there was right. another eight years. And I'd already done 10 in Australia. In so 18 years. 18 years. Yeah, there you go. Right? Isn't that yeah. crazy? There you go. And then so now, yeah. so now you get the success. <laughs> Your first single that was huge? No, my first single was uh, okay. And then the second single did a bit better. And the third single went to number and one. Then, and then when that happened, was that like a feeling of redemption and just like – did it like hit you or did it like people coming up to you and asking you for autographs? Is it, is it like, oh my God, this can go away? Or like, what was the feeling? You know, I'd sort of built a bit of a career in Australia and had a little bit of that, a little taste of people wanting to take a picture, get, you know, autographs and stuff like that. And then you move to Nashville and then you literally start right from the beginning again. Mm. No one knows or cares who you are. And... And you start from the ground up and you're back in it. You know, and in Australia, I had a five-man road crew and I was selling merch and it was like it was happening. I had a record out. And then you go to Nashville and it's like back in the van, trailer, packing your gear, trucking wow. across the country. I believe, no road crew. I believe nothing. the first, the, was that but, uh, for the grace of God? The what? The song. Which for one? For the grace of grace God. Grace of God, yeah, first number one. Uh, yeah. What was that uh, based on? Because when you hear the lyrics, so you can hear the neighbors, they're arguing again. Yeah. Is that from a so, life experience? Uh, so I wrote it with two girls from the Go-Go's, Charlotte Caffrey and uh, Jane Whedlin, who had come to Nashville in the mid-90s, and someone said, you should write with them. So I got in a room with the two of them, and we came up with that song. And I, I recorded it and tried to pitch it to other people because they didn't think it suited me. And eventually I just recorded it. And it's a great song. Thank you. It's an awesome song. Thank you. You write your music and the lyrics? I mean, you do both? I, I do both. Uh, what hits you first, though? Is it the words, or do you hear a, a melody like in the music? Almost that, always music. So the music yeah, first? Yeah, 99% of the time. And you lay a track over, or you lay Yeah, like some, the music's trying to say something. Yeah. It's usually where the story comes from. The music is actually telling a story. But you've also done like a, quite a few duets with other people, other yeah. performers that are unbelievable. I mean, they're, do you have a favorite person you've, you've done it? I mean, not 
nixing well, you're gonna, yeah. you know, you're gonna pit, pit him against you should write a book yeah i'm not like, trying to pit him against but he slaughter him again no but i mean some of them are they're fantastic it's almost like you should be with that person seeing you know what i mean you yeah think of carrie underwood yeah unbelievable carrie, great singer unbelievable um you know Nile rogers i was a huge fan of for for many 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 years and i just sort of pursued him because i went I, I think if we can just sit in a room and jam yeah i think he'll i think he'll dig what i do it's that belief in yourself right that mm -hmm. confidence and i just sought him out sought him out sought him out and eventually producer we got, Niall Rogers. We got, yeah yeah so I, we, I i had the pleasure of meeting him a few times and what a talented dude he amazing. had a, a a really famous band what was that band in chic Yes. Yeah. It was like late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. Right? Lafrique and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. Oh, that was Lafrique. him. Lafrique. Good times, that's him. Yeah. yeah. Niall Rogers. Wow. And then he produced yeah. Madonna and David Bowie. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, he did amazing. a ton of stuff. Yeah, you know, I think I know the answer already because your personality. I've gathered already. You're a pretty humble person, but do you think that also helped you stay? Like, because a lot of times when people make it to the top, that's their first go at it. They, you know, someone makes it famous. It was like they were famous already and then they have a drop you know and then drop off and then you have to be humble again and then come back up and the second time around like okay i'll realize what i'll do differently you got to experience that in a way because you hit fame for australia when you come over to tennessee as you said you're starting all over holding the backpack again taking yeah. your own gear starting at the bottom of the rung all over again yeah. did it, you think that helped keep you as far as i mean you seem like the social humility you're a humble guy did that attribute to it or is that just more you were bringing i think that's part of being australian i mean most aussies i know are pretty down to earth because you, you, you won't last anywhere if you get any kind of attitude in Australia. <laughs> They'll be like, what's this bullshit? What are you, what are, what are you doing? No, nah, you dickhead. Stop being a dickhead. Just, yeah. you know, knock it off. They just, just call you on your shit like that immediately. So I'm just used to it. Yeah, so you're already wired that way. I'm already you. wired that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you like a, a fan <laughs> of the Gold Coast? Uh, well, I Australia? played down there a lot. Did you? Because that's up, I, I spent some yeah. time... Uh, there with Chenille because she grew Earth? up there, right? Okay, and uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And Brisbane, I, I was, yeah. I was over there because Johnny was being treated there, and the right, yeah, yeah, Brisbane's uh, my hometown. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, speaking of 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 Nashville and icons, Dolly Parton, mm. like she has a new album, yeah, obviously. She's somebody who is so beloved by everyone, yeah, and she actually, um, you got her to introduce you. Mm. Um, in Nashville for the Songwriters yeah. uh, Hall of Fame, was yeah. it? Yeah. And what yeah. was that? Like you wrote her a letter, like a handwritten did, letter? Yeah, yeah. Like tell me about that. Well. Like, and why, what is she, why did she mean so much to you that you wanted her to do that? I sang her songs when I was pre-puberty, right? So my voice hadn't broken yet. So I could sing in her key. All these really super high songs I was just right. singing. You know, she, I loved her songwriting. I loved her songs, loved her melodies. Um, and over the years, I just, you know, was amazed that she just kept always finding a way to be relevant, innovative, and never lose who she is. You know, she could do so many things, but you always knew it was Dolly. And uh, I just think she's extraordinary. Extraordinary songwriter, singer, performer, business person, Even movie entrepreneur, star, right? actor, oh, everything. Yeah. She's amazing. Right? Just yeah, amazing. Yeah, she's good movies, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. She, and, and she's like, she has like a, another resurgence. Like this woman is just unbelievable yeah. with relevancy and like no she, controversy she yeah she's, she's everybody nice. loves yeah. her yeah everybody loves now her. now the rumor is she's covered in tattoos 
Yeah, it's true. No, which is why yes. you never see her sleeves. Are you yeah. seen ever seen her arms? You ever seen her arm? No, it's, I haven't seen her arms, but mm -hmm. I know she has small tattoos. Mm -hmm. And I know for what does she think that well. that would? Do you think like a woman? Or, well, it didn't affect you, so guys know, but like, does she think it would hurt her image? Did no idea. I, I, I would imagine it wouldn't. I think people. Kind of cool that we don't know. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like we're talking about it. Keeps the mystique it, right? on. Yeah, there, yeah, there's no mystique But it anymore. will be interesting now with the rock star album, right? It's right. like it will be say, hey, it was always a rock star. Yes. Right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, she yeah. has the tattoos. Yeah. All right, so we we talked before about about you know whether you're more rock and roll or country, but you actually did. Uh, a stint with Motley Crue. No, I didn't. You didn't do something with Motley Crue, nope. and you didn't. Uh, I my notes say that you headlined Milwaukee Summerfest, June nineteenth, twenty twenty four, along with Motley Crue. Oh, okay. Yeah, that probably that would have been on a different stage. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I was gonna say, I, 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 would you go see a Motley Crue concert? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, Nikki Six came to see me play one time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Did he think yeah. you were intrinsically talented? <laughs> I don't know if he knew that word. <laughs> uh, he's great. I mean, that band's crazy, man. It's yeah. phenomenal. Uh, again, their longevity and potency. Is, Isn't it it's crazy? Amazing. It's, you know, I, I always Tommy's say Tommy's sober that, now, too. Yeah. I, I always okay. say that it's kind of weird because, you know, you become a nostalgic act. Like, if, if, like I came out in 2005 with Mind Freak on television. I did uh, 100 and something episodes. And then I was like, you know, I can't do this. I'm becoming a caricature, a caricature of myself. And I had my live show. But you have like peaks and valleys. Look at the mm. Eagles. Look at, this, look at just some artists that even Kiss, for that mm -hmm. matter, which they're, that's Paul Stanley's guitar right there. Um, and, you know, they're dear friends of mine. Paul it, it actually be at my... Um, my charity event, December 18th at the House of Blues, nice where plug. we raise a bunch of money, 100% of the proceeds goes to uh, pediatric cancer. Yeah. Maybe I can get a guitar from you and sign it. Of course. And I can, I, course. Can, uh, I can auction it off. Yep, absolutely. Um, but, um, yeah, so uh, what was I just saying? <laughs> oh, just longevity. Oh, longevity, yeah. yeah. So, so like Kiss, you know, they had their era where they actually went, you know, overseas to do shows because... It wasn't happening uh, in the States. Mm -hmm. Now they're playing for 50, 60,000 people. They're doing two shows at Madison Square Garden that I'll be at uh, December 1st and 2nd. Um, so, you know, like Dolly Parton is just always been there. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. she's managed to like, even Willie Nelson for that matter, yeah, right? Absolutely. You know, like the whole weed thing and yeah. people would make jokes about it, but he always managed to like, keep himself out there but i think um, it's the desire to perform i think that's mm -hmm. what it is i think well, that's where it comes from a lot of people quit and and you know they just it is hard chris you know how hard it is well, to stay relevant well, and think, now and do it. i think it has a desire to stay relevant and, and compete but like i've seen some i mean there's some i won't i'm not gonna be a dick and name names but we all there's a very famous female pop star that like if she walked in the room right now, she looks like a freaking alien. But you know, her version of trying oh. to stay relevant has been so. I think the desire to relevance there, but like, about. not everybody <laughs> hits it out of the park. You know what I mean? Sometimes Bonk. it's like, oh man, you know. So yeah, it's looking pretty rough. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's well, that's because people try to hold on to their youth. So they get cringy, not and know. they and they and they don't want to accept that. You know what? Every year that you're on this earth is a blessing. You know, you're never going to experience life at that age ever again. It's so true. like, if you think about it that way, 
then you accept, you know what? I'm not going to look like I did five or 10 years ago, but I'm going to try to keep myself in shape, train, work out, eat right, do the right things. Yeah. And, and the, the biggest, the biggest problem in life is stress, right? How do you manage your stress? I also think most of us just want to look like how we feel. Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, it's not even about a youthful thing. It's like you don't, you normally don't feel your age inside. Mm -hmm. You feel much more sort of vibrant and, and younger than oh, you we're all literally are. Just and so you, you only want to sort of look how you feel. You just want those two to be a bit more in sync. 100%. That's really it. So the tattoos, um, you obviously have a love for ink, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, are you going to get fully sleeved or are you going to... I don't you know just, about fully sleeved, but I mean, I, it's, I just... It, they, it, where is your inspiration? Like, do you see something you're like, I like that? Or is it like, because you have a style going on there, right, Mario? Like, I have a style. Mine's more like polka trash. Mm -hmm. It's called... <laughs> his, it's called what? Polka trash. Really? Yeah, or yeah. trash polka, whatever. I thought it was called Americano. That was like the Americano. And what's the, what would be the criteria of polka trash? Because it's like, like badging. It's almost like badging, right? Yeah. So it yeah. it it reflects more like punk rock scene, right? Yeah. It's more like the the dirty look of tattoos. It's right. it, it, how the old style looked, right? They didn't go for a theme or a beautiful, colorful sleeve. Mm. It was more blotchy and black and mm -hmm. red because that was the only color that was available at mm -hmm. that time. Oh, and the really? most artists at that time didn't use more colors than that, right? Because it originated out of the English underground. So it, that was that mm. English underground. Yeah, prison. <laughs> you ever been to English underground? <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've taken the English underground several times. So no, <laughs> but it's it's like so it comes from that punk rock scene, mm. right? Like from from that part from yeah, um, and that's that specific look what goes in, and then there's of course the Japanese style, right, which is really oriental, mm -hmm. ornamented, really colorful, really part, right, then it's a fantasy style, mm. which is mostly European, mm. got really created by the Austrians, where I come from, uh, uh, Germans, Austrians, Switzerland, were the leaders of that, right, the American style tattooing, which everybody knows, which are considered like the military mm -hmm. tattoo, right, like the eagle, the flag, the bulldog, yep. USMC. And then Polynesia style, tribal style, right, mm -hmm. which had a huge flourishment in, uh, I would say, approximately the mid '90s. It was mm -hmm. extremely popular, you know, uh, uh, because it was the first time the tattooers. It was in the easier way to create and to be different, right? It was just symbolic. It mm -hmm. had was not a USMC because Europeans didn't identify with a marine symbol, mm -hmm. even though they got the bulldog tattooed. You know, not everybody wanted to have a Tasmanian devil. <laughs> Way back in the day, right? Uh, so when the tribals came in, I think that's when the actual, and with the internet, the explosion of internet, uh, the, uh, the likeliness of all the Polynesian designs came out, right? Mm. And Hawaiian and, and all this uh, uh, Tahitian style, and that's where tattoo got discovered from James Cook right back in the day, right? Because the word tattoo comes out from the sound of the tapping. And it made the sound, ta -ta 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 -ta. there was no name for it no English wow. name for it. I so he named that. it Tao Tao. Yeah. And that's when he brought the big, uh, the, human the, the, like the great wow. Omni back that's to England. Cool. And it was a show, like he got showcased yeah. as the tattooed man from, from, you know, the Polynesian islands, right? Like, from, yeah. uh, so it's, it's a really incredible story when you look at it and yeah. how the styles have traveled from everybody. Yeah. And the most people don't even know what they're getting. Right. Yeah. It's like where music comes from, and they bring it back it's to exactly the music the for a moment. Yeah. It's like everybody thinks rock and roll comes from the Rolling Stones, right? Uh -huh. I mean, it, 
of course they are, but it's like there's deep roots somewhere else yeah. completely which have been combined. Oh, yeah. And that's with the tattooing as well, you know. 100%. That is interesting. Which brings yeah. me to a question. Are you getting more and when and I'm where sure and how and point. why? And I'm not going to leave you here until I'm done with you. <laughs> <laughs> we should have just brought a tattoo. We should have brought your, your system um, done your, and, and, and did it live yeah. while we're, while we're mm. shooting this. And... and you and know, then you because ask I think the you, have, you have it on your chest too, right? You have. I have that. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. This thing. And then on the shoulder, yeah. he has an eagle on their shoulder, which reflects his American. Yeah. Yeah, that was the first one was an eagle. Yeah. Was, was it Nicole? Like, hey, uh, uh, what um, about me? Why don't you? She's all over me. Yeah, she's there. Nicole. Oh, she is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. He has her, it several uh, ones. Her I'm Hawaiian just name sure is. You're representing. Her Hawaiian name is Hokulani because she was born in Hawaii, so Hokulani's in there. There's an NK there. Uh, yeah, she's kind of everywhere. All right. She's okay. born in Hawaii, moved to Australia. Yep. And you're actually from New Zealand. Born in New Zealand, yeah. And then moved to Australia. Yeah, that's But awesome. Nicole has no, no tattoos. No, she's, she's promise ring. pristine. Pristine. Perfect canvas. <laughs> well, or perfect. She's perfect how she is. Just, oh, like, you know, that's right. her thing, you know. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Well, we, we don't want to take up a lot of your time. We know you're really busy. Are you going to F1 again? Are you doing a show tonight? Yeah. Uh, so we play tonight and tomorrow night. We just play super early. Right. What time are you playing? 6.30. All right. And like, then, that's ridiculous. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, that's why I wouldn't. I wouldn't that's yeah. early. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to F you. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you, but then you, you finish your run, your residency uh, at, at, at Planet Hollywood. Yeah. It used to be called the Zappos. Now it's called the... That's right. Backed Theater. The what? Backed Backed, yeah. that's what it is. B i k k t. Yeah, back theater. Yeah, and then you're and then you're gonna go off. Will you come back at maybe next year to do another residency? Probably not next year, but I'm not sure. I'd like. I definitely would come back. Yeah, you had yeah. fun because we started in '19 over at uh, Coliseum, oh, and okay. then took a break in '20, uh, mm-hmm. as you did. And when did you guys resume after all of that? You took a it long was, break, uh, right? I think it was 18 months. Right. Uh, that we were. It was. It was insane. And then um. Yeah, it was a it was a long break, and yeah. um, oh, let's pray never again. Mm, mm. So tomorrow night, are you going to be at F one? Yeah, I'm going to see uh, qualifying rounds tonight. Right. Um, it's the beauty of finishing early is I can go and do that, and yeah. then the same tomorrow night too. Go see the race. I'm going to go. I, I I went to dinner. I, uh, he reached out to me, uh, Zach Brown, the 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 uh, CEO of uh, McLaren. So uh, Chanel and I had dinner with uh, him and his lovely wife, and uh, so they invited us to go and like experience it in a very unique way. So we're really excited about it. So hopefully Excellent. we'll see each other. But um, yeah. I can't thank you enough. What a class act! Easy and um, really, uh, really appreciate you know you being such a stand-up guy. You know, um, you c- you've come to see my show, and I said, mm. hey, would you do this? And he said, I'll be back in November, and you. You uh, you did it, and I, I'm really grateful that you um, that you did, and uh, I think people are going to really enjoy this. Is there anything you, you want to add or say? Or thanks for having me on the show. Oh, of course. Yeah, it was Thank easy. You. Yeah, super easy. easy. Uh, should we ask them hard questions now? Like we'll turn on the camera. Really diving now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was just a preview. This no, was, so, we were yeah. just <laughs> trialing everything. <laughs> now we got to, oh, no, but, but we thank you so much, and uh, Keith. Keith Urban, ladies and gentlemen. You know, ladies and gentlemen, we do this uh, show because we want to, not because we have to. Uh, This is something that we just do because we enjoy the people that we're able to bring in here. And uh, hopefully you enjoy watching it. Please share um, Talking Junkies to your friends and enemies. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Chris. God bless you, too. 
Talking Junkies. 